If you will grab your Bibles with me and remain standing for our scripture reading this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 25, as our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 18, as we see the 19th lesson on the life of Abraham. The death of Abraham happens here in Genesis 25, and this is our text. started back in Genesis 12 weeks ago, and now we're here, the conclusion in Genesis 25 of Abraham's life. So follow along with me as I read Genesis 25, verses 1 through 18. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. You can grab it, and you can find the passage. Follow along as I read Genesis 25, verses 1 through 18. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron and Jokshan and Medan and Midian, Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Leshuam, and Lumimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite, east of Mamre the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Abraham, a life of faith that we can study. Thank you for Pastor Bruce and his preparation and uh, his studying of, of your word to present it to us. Help us to have open hearts and minds and to continue to learn from the life of Abraham and his legacy and be grateful for Abraham and his legacy and be grateful, God, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you? Have ever taken time to think about how you hope to die? Probably, chances are, not many of you have, as not many of us contemplate our death, let alone think about how we might die. But one man with a sense of humor wrote these words, When I die, I want to go like my grandfather did, peacefully in his sleep not screaming and yelling like the other people in his car. (laughs) Well, we have come at last to the end of Abraham's life. As Zach said, we began this journey with Abraham some Sundays back, 
in Genesis 12 when he was called by God to leave his country, to leave his family, and go to the land of Canaan. Abraham at that time was 75 years old when he obeyed God's call. And so for the last 100 years of his life, he has lived as a sojourner in the land that God promised him. But now we come to this final chapter in our journey with Abraham, where we see his death and his burial. Oftentimes, when I conduct a funeral service, I will begin the service with something like this. We are gathered here to honor and remember the life of so-and-so and to celebrate his or her homecoming in heaven. And today, through the record of Moses here to us in Genesis, we are doing somewhat the same thing. Abraham's funeral was such an occasion. Every funeral, though, in some ways, is an occasion for sadness and mourning, but but many funerals are filled with great hope, often filled with a lot of fond memories, and, and, and for believers especially, those funerals are filled with even a, a great joy, a confidence in knowing where their loved one is in the presence of the Lord. This is no different with Abraham. In many ways, it's a celebration of a life well lived, a life triumphantly completed. And yes, there was sadness, there was mourning, as Isaac and Ishmael, two of Abraham's sons, buried their father beside Sarah's bones in the cave. But what we also see here, in fact, this is the primary reason Moses actually gives us this chapter, tells us about the, the death and burial of Abraham, is what we see here in all of this is that Abraham's death was truly the completion of a triumphant life of faith. As we've seen throughout this study, Abraham set the pattern of faith for all of us. In fact, there's no more fitting tribute that could be written than perhaps the one that was written by the Apostle James. He wrote in James 2.23, and the scripture was filled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. In fact, in all of Scripture, no other human being is actually referred to as a friend of God. No other person except for Abraham. Abraham alone bears that title. And yet, as we've journeyed alongside this man of faith through through each episode of his life, we've also seen that Abraham was someone that, that we all hear, we can easily identify with him. And the reason is because Abraham was no perfect saint. Though he was a a great example of faith, he also was very flawed in his life and he faltered in his faith. He had his moments of of fear. In fact, we've seen twice where he, he lied and he was deceptive in communicating his relationship to his wife. But God in his grace as we have seen, patiently restored Abraham after each failure. And this same grace, hopefully you have seen as well, is available to you and me. But as we come now to Abraham's death, we are now confronted with a question. And that question is this. Has God been faithful to keep his promises to Abraham? 
Has God been faithful to keep his promises to Abraham? And the answer is yes and not yet. Yes and not yet. Yes, God had begun to fulfill his promises to Abraham, but no, those promises were not yet filled, fulfilled completely. Now remember, God had promised to make Abraham the father of many nations. God had promised to give Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan. But by the time we come to Genesis 24, and you get to the very end of Genesis 24, Abraham only has two sons. He has Isaac, and he has Ishmael. So can we really say that God has fulfilled his promise to multiply Abraham's descendants like the stars of the sky? Furthermore, Abraham only owns this this little plot of land containing the burial cave for Sarah, where he himself will be buried. So, So can we really say that God has fulfilled his promise to give Abraham the land of Canaan. Again, the answer is yes and not yet. Yes, God has begun to fulfill his promises to Abraham, but no, these promises are not yet fulfilled completely. And although this this last story here about Abraham's death does not tie up all the loose ends of God's promises to Abraham, it does show us how God partially fulfills his promises to Abraham. Just as we saw when Sarah died, God's promises are not always completed. They're not always fulfilled in this lifetime. Nevertheless, God is still faithful. In fact, this is the primary point that I believe Moses is making here at Abraham's death. Moses wants us to see God's faithfulness first and foremost. He wants us to see God's faithfulness primarily to Abraham before he died, when he died, and even after he died. So let's explore that. Let's look at it. Notice, number one, God was faithful to Abraham before he died. You may have noticed that Abraham's death and burial is framed, though, on either side by genealogies. In fact, the first 18 verses are nothing more than genealogies and obituaries, two to be exact, two genealogies and two obituaries. So we might be tempted to think how boring. Let's just kind of move on. It's just more names that I can't pronounce. And so I say thank you to Zach because he actually did a phenomenal job pronouncing all those names. I'm not even going to try. So thank you, Zach, for filling those in for us. But before we move on from this very first genealogy here at the beginning of chapter 25, we probably ought to just stop and ask ourselves, What does it teach us? Why did Moses include this genealogy here at the beginning of verse chapter 25, right before Abraham's obituary? What does it teach us? Well, what it teaches us is that God was faithful to Abraham before he died. Now, we do learn a a new fact about Abraham in verse 1 here. In fact, it it might even be a surprising new fact that he took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bears him many other children besides Ishmael, who who came from Hagar, and Isaac, obviously, that Sarah bore him. Now, this is the only place in the book of Genesis where we read anything about Keturah. 
In fact, she is actually called Abraham's concubine elsewhere in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32. But because we're just now learning of this, we assume that Abraham remained, remarried after Sarah died, which means that Abraham and Keturah would have been married some 35 to 38 years. But Bible scholars actually differ, and there is some debate about this, of when this marriage with Keturah took place. There are some who think that Abraham took this concubine while Sarah was still living, perhaps shortly after he sent Hagar and Ishmael away. Whereas there are others who think that Abraham took Keturah after his wife Sarah had died. Now the reason for this debate, if you think about it, is this. Is if Abraham took Keturah as his wife toward the end of his life, then how does he conceive so many children by her when he was, quote, a a washed up, reproductively speaking, at a hundred years old? I mean, after all, the Apostle Paul even describes Abraham's body as good as dead by the time Isaac was conceived supernaturally with Sarah. We read that in Romans chapter 4. So from this point of view, then Abraham's fertility, it seems to suggest to us that, that all his children with Keturah represent God's miraculous rejuvenation of his body. In other words, the fruitfulness that God gave Abraham to conceive Isaac with Sarah was an enduring, a continuing fruitfulness now to conceive children with Keturah. Now, what's the point of all this? What's the point of Moses telling us about Abraham's sons through Keturah, especially at this point in the storyline of Abraham? Well, Moses is emphasizing something to us. He wants us to see something here. And what he's emphasizing is God's faithfulness to Abraham before he died. You see, Moses is not nearly as interested in strict chronology as he is in telling us of God's story of redemption through his promises to Abraham. Therefore, Moses, he's not trying to to focus in and, and emphasize when the timeline of when Abraham married Keturah, as much as he is emphasizing to us God's faithfulness here to multiply Abraham's descendants with Keturah before he died. So here's what we see with Abraham's legacy. Notice this in your notes. Abraham was the father of a multitude of nations. And this demonstrates for us God's faithfulness to his promises of countless descendants. Now, one thing is very clear in this genealogy here. That is, God blesses Abraham with other descendants. That's what we learn here first and foremost. What we see here is that Keturah bore six children to Abraham, and those children bore other children. And so God was faithful to multiply Abraham's descendants at the very end of his life, just as he had promised to do. Now, we we ought to step back and we ought to just be awed by this. We ought to be awed by the fact that even at the end of Abraham's life, God is still making good on his promise to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. 
You might remember, we looked at this back in Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 6. God tells Abraham, he says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And what are we seeing here in Genesis 25? We are seeing that played out. We are seeing God raise up many more nations from Abraham's sons through Keturah. And the existence of these nations was a demonstration of God's faithfulness to Abraham before he died. But we also see something else take place here. And that is Abraham affirmed Isaac's unique place in God's plan. And he did this by giving the inheritance to Isaac and gifts to his other sons. Now, there's no record here of how these six sons of Keturah interacted with the much older half-brother Isaac. Certainly no conflict is mentioned or implied. Nevertheless, Abraham believed that God's promise was through Isaac alone. His faith in God's promises through Isaac did not waver in the sunset years at the end of his life. And so with unwavering faith in God, we read then in verses 5 and 6 that Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, that would be Keturah and Hagar. Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. And so Abraham never forgot that Isaac alone was the son of God's promise. He alone was the heir to the inheritance of God's promises and blessings to Abraham. You might remember God told Abraham that he would establish his covenant with Isaac. It was to Isaac's descendants that God would give the land of Canaan. It was through Isaac's seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so before Abraham dies, He reaffirms this promise. He reaffirms Isaac's unique place in God's plan by doing two specific things. One, he gave the inheritance to Isaac, but he also gave gifts to his other sons. He said, why would he do that? Because he's protecting Isaac's birthright here. He's protecting the birthright, and so in doing so, Abraham made a provision for his other sons, and he sent them away, just as he did Ishmael, so that they would not become a threat to God's promises in Isaac's life. Now, we probably ought to stop and just be honest here with what perhaps many of you are thinking. At least I know this crossed my mind in preparing this. And you read this, and you can't help, but it just kind of hit you in the face doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem fair. In fact, the first thing that may have jumped into your mind here is inequality. Inequality in the way Abraham's children are treated here. And that doesn't sit with us, especially in our culture today. But John Calvin commenting on this passage says something interesting here. Listen to what he writes. 
This would be a terrible way to treat children today. If you did this in your own family, you would be assuring that your children would hate one another for the rest of their lives. But Abraham did this because God had said Isaac is to be the heir. And so Abraham's action was not the action of a father who was unwise, who was spoiling one child and neglecting the others. No, Abraham's actions were based upon the revelation of God that Isaac was to be the one through whom the line of promise came. And so what we learn here again, is that common blessings, often called grace blessings by God, common blessings are given by God to all of humanity. So anyone that is born has experienced the common blessings of God. Period. And we see that here, but we also see at the same time that covenant blessings are given by God to those who are heir of the promises of God. And yet, what we first see, there's a distinction being made. That catches us. And in our culture, we don't like that. This, the, the distinction is made between Isaac and his brothers. And that distinction, though, what we need to understand and what we need to embrace is not, resides not in the bias of a father. This distinction is not so much made by Abraham as this distinction was made by God himself. And that distinction is not made on something based in the life of Isaac himself. Rather, it is made on the grace of God in choosing Isaac. In fact, this distinction is further emphasized later on in this chapter when it comes to Esau and Jacob. We don't have time to get into it. Here's what we need to see. Isaac did nothing. He did absolutely nothing to deserve this blessing, this promise. Just as we here, we have done nothing to deserve God's grace in choosing us for salvation. And so we ought to be humbled here. We ought to be grateful here and thankful for God's grace upon our lives because those who trust in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us, actually become Abraham's offspring and heirs of the promise according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. So we see here that Abraham, he had many, many, many sons. So the song is true. Father Abraham, that you used to sing in kids' ministries, it is true. And he became the father of a multitude of nations. This was God's faithfulness to Abraham before he died. But we also see, number two, that God was faithful to Abraham when he died. And what we have next here is an obituary written by none other than Moses. And notice the obituary that Moses writes for Abraham. We read in verses 7 and 8, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Truly, God was faithful to Abraham even when he died. 
Two things stand out with Abraham's funeral here. First of all, we see that Abraham died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. So we learn a few things here about God's faithfulness to Abraham in Moses' obituary. First thing we see is Abraham died in a good old age. 175 years to be exact. Abraham, as we already said, was 75 years of age when he came to the promised land, and he sojourned in this land of Canaan for 100 years. Abraham's long life in itself is a fulfillment of what God had promised to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verse 15, where God said to him, listen, you, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. That was the promise God made to him in chapter 15. Ten chapters later, what do we see? It's fulfilled. God was faithful to him. We also see that Abraham died, and we have two phrases here used by Moses. He died an old man, and more importantly, he died full of years, Moses says. One commentator writes, this obituary notice about Abraham draws attention to the fact that Abraham died not only at an old age, but in a frame of mind filled, listen to this, with with inner peace and satisfaction. That's the thrust of the phrase, full of years. So what a wonderful way to put it. Abraham died, not just an old man, but he died filled with inner peace and satisfaction. Oh, how many people can say that on their deathbed? Not too many. And yet God, make no mistake about it, God is the one who gives you that kind of inner peace and satisfaction that enables us to be satisfied with life, but also to be ready to leave this life when God calls. Warren Wiersbe writes, he says, how few people really experience joy and satisfaction when they reach old age. When they look back, it is often with regret. When they look ahead, it is with fear. And when they look around, it is with complaint. But that was not the case with Abraham, however. He died an old man and satisfied with life as he walked by faith in the promises of God. And then we find another interesting phrase here used by Moses, that Abraham was gathered to his people. And notice, it's very intentional. He was not gathered to his tomb. He was not gathered to Sarah's bones, but he was gathered to his people. So what does that mean? What what does that imply there? Well, it implies that his people still exist in some way, even though they are dead. It seems that, that his people are people of faith, like Abraham was. And so it means that Abraham was gathered into the company of those before him who believed in God and followed God, perhaps much like Enoch and Noah did. As Matthew Henry writes, who was a Puritan, he writes these words, he says, and it's very interesting what he says here. He says, death gathers us to our people. Those that are our people while we lived. Whether the children of God or the children of this world are the people to whom death will gather us. 
So then he asked the question. Listen to his question. He says, are you going to live in the company of God-haters forever? Or will you be gathered to God's people, sinners who have been washed and cleansed, purified and forgiven people who love the God who saved them, who have been transformed from their blame and shame into the image of the Lord Christ? And it all depends upon with whom we find our ultimate fellowship in this life, doesn't it? In other words, whether we find our fellowship with God and thus with his people, or whether we find our fellowship with the the God of this age who is none other than Satan and his people, the children of this world. It's a great question for us to ask today. Because we're all going to die unless Jesus comes first. And the question is, as Matthew Henry put it, who will you be gathered with? And we ought to contemplate that question. Because the answer to that question is dependent upon your life today. How you choose to respond to God's promises in Jesus Christ today. But we also learned something else about Abraham. He not only died in a good old age and was gathered to his people, but he was buried with his wife Sarah in the cave of Machpelah by his sons Isaac and Ishmael. Now Abraham's body was placed next to Sarah's bones. But I think what Moses really wants to emphasize here, and while that's an important emphasis that he was buried in the land of Canaan, we looked at that. We looked at the the implication of that, the significance of that, when we looked at Sarah's death. So I don't want to repeat that. What I want us to see here more than that is who buried Abraham. And did you notice it? We're told in verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. And so God was faithful to Abraham even When he was buried. In other words, his funeral was marked by the peace that God promised Abraham back in Genesis 15, along with a long life. God promised him two things. He would live a long life, but he also promised him peace. And we are seeing a glimpse of that peace here at his death. Isn't it ironic? It appears that that Isaac and Ishmael buried their differences at least long enough to, to stand together in their grief at their father's grave. And what's interesting about that is, is how funerals, even today, often bring estranged family members together again, if only for a short time. Yes, the rest of their lives, that is Isaac and Ishmael, the rest of their lives would be marked by Ishmael's hostility that was prophesied by the angel of the Lord back in Genesis chapter 16. But, but for this brief moment, however, Ishmael's hostility against Isaac is laid aside as they are joined together to peacefully bury their father in the cave that he bought from the Hittites that we saw in Genesis 23. His burial signifies the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promises to give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan. That was the emphasis we made with Sarah's death and with Abraham buying this burial plot and this plot of land. But we also see that God was just not faithful to Abraham before he died, 
and when he died. But Moses also wants us to see that God was faithful, number three, to Abraham after he died. Notice verse 11. It begins with these words. After the death of Abraham. That that specific expression is actually used again in reference to the deaths of Moses and Joshua and King Saul. And in each of those three cases, it indicates a historical turning point and it recognizes that an heir has come to an end. These, these after-the-death-of words almost always seem to carry an, an overtone of anxiety in the midst of some crisis, and it implies this worried question on behalf of God's people, how will matters go on from here now that Abraham has died? What's going to happen now that Moses has died and we're on the edge of the promised land? Who's going to lead us in? What's going to happen now that Joshua has died? What about King Saul? He's now died. What's going to happen to us? And here in Genesis 25, the answer is quite well. For we read in the rest of verse 11, look at it. After the death of Abraham, notice what God does. Does God sit still? Is God absent? Is God nowhere to be found, or is God working? It says, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahoy Royal. Now, in case you're wondering, that's where God first heard the cries of Hagar and Ishmael in Genesis 16. It's also where Isaac was meditating when he first saw Rebekah, as we learned last Sunday in Genesis 24. And so once again, what we see here is God's faithfulness to Abraham, this time after he died. Notice, first of all, God blessed Abraham's son Isaac. And so what we see here is that the blessing God promised to Abraham, it did not die with Abraham. God's covenant blessings now continued with his son Isaac. And so like Abraham, no doubt Isaac will experience significant hardship. He will experience suffering during his lifetime. However, God is establishing his blessing for Isaac at the very threshold of his adult life. And while Abraham is the father of our faith, listen to me, this is a good reminder here for us. Oh, this is a good reminder that not even Abraham is indispensable in God's redemptive plan. Charles Wesley, some of you may be familiar with that name. He once said this, God God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. And that's true. That's what we're seeing here in the storyline of God's redemptive plan and how he works that storyline through his servants, beginning here with Abraham. But now it continues with his son, Isaac. And so whether it's Abraham, whether it's Moses, whether it's Joshua, or whether it's one of us, whoever goes, whoever dies, it never, never, never throws a kink into God's plan and purposes. And so the death of God's servant, it does not signal the death of God's plan to bless all the peoples on the earth through Jesus Christ. Even a giant like Abraham here must be gathered to his people in death 
as he awaits God's work in bringing the fullness of redemption to completion. So what does this mean for us? Well, obviously, we're, we're much further ahead down the road of God's redemptive plan in human history. And although we, we stand here today much further forward in the progress of God's kingdom in human history, listen, we too will likely go to our deaths before seeing all of God's work completed. And so Abraham's death here, it calls out to us to, to take heart in the hope that God would carry out his blessings. He will carry those blessings forward, accomplishing what he will through us, and then moving forward to bring all things together according to his perfect will. And so God blessed Abraham's son, Isaac, after he died. But it's interesting. There were also blessings for Abraham's son, Ishmael, as well. What we see here, notice in your notes, God made Abraham's son, Ishmael, into a great nation. This is what we see in verses 12 through 18 with the genealogy of Ishmael. And this is important since it shows us that God indeed fulfilled his promises even to Ishmael. We saw the fulfillment of God's promises to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations in his many sons with Keturah in the first genealogy. And now we see the same thing happening in this genealogy, that a great nation arises from Ishmael's many sons. And so God promised that, that Ishmael shall father 12 princesses. He promised to make Ishmael into a great nation. In fact, you can read about that specific promise in Genesis 17, verse 20. And what do we see here? The fulfillment of those two promises. Now, at the same time, it's rather interesting that Moses avoids saying something here. He avoids saying that God blessed Ishmael in the exact same way that God blessed Isaac. This is, this is why Moses emphasizes in verse 12 that Ishmael is Abraham's son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. And so by mentioning Hagar, Moses is making it very clear here that Ishmael was not a legitimate recipient of Abraham's inheritance. Yes, Ishmael becomes a great nation like Israel, but not a nation marked by the blessings that belong exclusively to Israel. So God fulfills his promises to Ishmael, but he also keeps those promises separate from Isaac. Ishmael does not receive the covenant promises. He does not receive the covenant blessings of Isaac, at least not right away. What? Not right away? What does that mean? Well, when Abraham sent his sons with Keturah away, it does not mean that they will be forever banished from Abraham's household. Rather, the prophet Isaiah foretells of a day when those same sons will be brought into Abraham's covenant through the coming Messiah. Read about that in Isaiah chapter 60. 
In other words, it is through Jesus Christ that God will bless all the nations of the earth in a new covenant that includes, listen to me, Gentiles alongside Jews, including the offspring of Ishmael. And so a day is coming when God will call people from from every tribe, every nation, every people into his covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. We read about that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And this includes Abraham's other sons who will be reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, that also includes us. So again, let me close with the question that we began with. Was God faithful to keep his promises to Abraham? And the answer is yes and not yet. Yes, God began to fulfill his promises to Abraham. But no, those promises were not yet fulfilled completely. But folks, listen to me, one day they will be. One day they will be. Abraham's legacy here is that he lived by faith in the promises of God, even when those promises were not fulfilled immediately. In other words, he still believed that God would fulfill his promises someday completely. And Abraham's faith, it stands as a challenge to us here today. Notice it. Like Abraham, we too must live by faith and die by faith, receiving in part but not yet receiving in full what God has promised. This is what it means to live in the reality gap between the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. So there's a reality gap between these two things. Right now, where do we live? Right now, we live in a world of of joys and sorrows. We live in a world of successes and failures. We live in a world of, of ups and then downs. We live in a fallen world where things fall apart, where things fell We live in a fallen world where people live and then they die. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. And this reality, let's admit, it's often very painful. It's very frustrating, especially when those who suffer and die are our loved ones. But as Christians, we we recognize at the same time a reality beyond this reality. We recognize a world that's beyond this world that is not yet here, but it is coming. And we, we know by faith that, that the painful reality that we see all around us will one day pass away and it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell with his people for all eternity and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, according to Revelation 21. And that's when we shall see Jesus face to face and this reality gap will be closed once and for all. But until that day comes, until that day comes, you and I, we are called, like Abraham, to live by faith and to die by faith in the promises of God. And so like Abraham, the challenge here from this series is simply this. It is to believe God 
and continue to believe God. No matter what you go through, no matter what God takes you through, fixing your eyes on Jesus as we sojourn in this world with kingdom purposes and kingdom priorities. Oh, that we would live by faith and, yes, die by faith like Abraham. What is your heart, your eyes fixed on as you sojourn in this world? What do you contemplate? Who will you be gathered with? These are questions we ought to think about and ponder. With your heads bowed, Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word, which tells us about your plan to save us from our sins in the promise of your son, Jesus Christ. Like Abraham, would you give us the grace to live by faith in this present world? And when we falter in our faith, may we turn to you for forgiveness and restoration so that we may continue to live in the hope of your promises. We praise you for not only being a promise maker, but also a promise keeper. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.